you can think about the functionality, you can think about all the features, but at the end of the day, it's got to come down to either the user or the customer. Media, technology, entertainment. One of the world's foremost experts on this topic is Michael Wolf, co-founder and CEO of Activate Consulting. Previously, he was the president and chief operating officer of MTV. We're a management consulting firm. We're focused entirely on four industries, technology, internet, media, and entertainment. Michael, you've released a report very recently, this during the past week, about this convergence, attention economy or the experience economy, but it's really about how consumers, users relate to technology and media. So tell us about that report and the data. So every year for the last seven years, we spend the better part of nine to 10 months creating what we call our technology and media outlook. And it, it, it's intended to cover the major topics that we think are important in that moment. We, we think so. We, we think not just are important in that moment, what are going to be important for the next year? What's going to be important in 2022? Because to a large extent as a firm, we tell everybody who works for us, you have to live in the future. I mean, you can, you, how else we help our clients own the future if you don't live in it? And so I'm, we're always looking forward, what's going to happen next year. And so this year, we just put this out last week. It's about 200 slides. They're all available on, on our website and, and that's activate.com. And it covers the major areas, not only that we think are important, but that we think are going to be critical. And it begins with the most important person in technology and media, and that's the user. And everything we do as a firm begins that way. In fact, we tell, we tell everybody that our North Star is the user. Whenever we get into trouble, when we're looking at a problem we can't solve, but we always go and say, like, hey, we broke our own rule. Let's go back to the user and we can solve the problem. What is the nature of the user or can we, can we say the technology, media, entertainment, consumer? You can. And um, we look at this like the consumer, the customer, the audience, it's all the same, but it's people. And, and, and that's the way to, to look at it. And so much of what we do begins with how are people spending their time and attention? We're, how are they engaging with media um, and what's capturing their attention? Who's, who's doing it? Where are they spending it against, whether it's music or, or it's video or video games? Where are they spending their time and attention and how? And also, by the way, I should point out, what are they doing at the same time? Because multitasking is a reality. Uh, music, for example, is an ambient medium. You're doing something else when you're listening to music. Many times you're doing something else when you're watching TV. We all know that consumers these days have the attention span of a gnat, basically. What, so what does is, what is all of this imply for businesses? So what's, what's going on with these folks, with these consumers, and what does it mean for companies? You're right. Attention is short, but the attention in little bites can still build 
a billion dollar business or a multi-billion dollar business. And so we do see a lot of compression. We see what, what was historically people watching a full television show now going down to clips of the show. So I can watch, for example, um, I can watch an entire newscast. I can watch an entire NBC newscast now on YouTube, but I may decide that I want to watch pieces of it. I may want to watch a three-minute segment of MSNBC. The, so what's happened is video is getting shorter, and now we end up with TikTok, which the videos are extremely short. The people are watching them, but it captures a lot of their attention. Somebody can spend 20, 25 minutes a day uh, watching TikTok videos. And every technology and media platform has recognized this because all of them are now adding short form video, whether it's Snap or it's Instagram or it's Facebook, um, YouTube, they're all adding short term video, short form video. So this comes down to like, what, what is it that people are going to spend their time at and, and how do they chop up that time? And if we look at the course of a day, you see that the average user is spending five hours a day just watching video. Now it's multitask time. So they may be doing something at the same time. They're, they're like watching a movie, but at the same time, they're on, um, they're on their phone uh, with Twitter or they're, they're using Snap to communicate with friends. So it, it, it's short attention spans does not mean necessarily short time spent with technology and media. When we consider all of the hours in a day that somebody will spend consuming technology and media, and you look at that from a multitasking time, it's about 13 hours a day. It's literally 13 hours a day. Uh, and, and you begin with, like, as I said, five hours a day on, on video. It's fo videos followed by music and audio. That's followed by video games. Um, then you get down. This is all on average. And then you get down to areas like web browsing and social and messaging. What I find kind of uh, extraordinary is, uh, on the one hand, You've got TikTok videos that are just a few seconds in length and that are explicitly designed to capture our attention, move on to the next, 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 and, and grab you there. But at the other end of the spectrum, you have games like, like Second Life or the metaverse that Facebook is now talking about that, is, that are designed to absorb bring you in and absorb you for much of your daily working life even so even if you have a short attention span you may be spending a great deal of time in a game i mean you may spend a lot of time in red dead redemption or in grand theft auto uh, because there's so much happening so short attention span doesn't mean short time spent in, in a medium on the contrary short the game is set up to capture that short attention span and keep you going. And I, and I think that when you, when you consider many of the major forms of media, yes, there's long form is, is, is important. I mean, people are binging, people are binging shows. I mean, my, my, my wife and, and my kids and I, we binged uh, two seasons of Ted Lasso. So, uh, and our attention was focused on watching that it's, we're going to see both. It's at both ends of the spectrum. We have a question from Twitter, and Chris Peterson asks, 
if short form video is taking off, what's the big differentiator between, he says, Vine and TikTok? Vine was Twitter's streaming yes. video that they no longer have. So, so what makes TikTok so successful? And Vine died on the Vine. They canceled it. They killed it off. There's some big differences. One of them is Vine, similar to YouTube, their influencer medium. The, 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 the videos that are the most popular tended to be from, um, from influencers. So like one of the best influencers on, on, on Vine was uh, Josh Peck from, and you might remember from the old Nickelodeon show, Drake and Josh. And so it's almost as if like, if you weren't a well-known creator or influencer, nobody watched you. And it's a similar challenge with, with YouTube. TikTok, everybody's a creator. Everybody can be a star. You, yes, you've got stars like Charlie D'Amelio, um, or, um, but, but you've also got people that nobody's heard of. Daniel Mack, who you never see. Daniel Mack is the guy that goes up to people and says, hey, what do you do for a living? And did you go to college? And, um, and we, what we see is there, the algorithm is, serves up not only what you're interested in, but what you're going to now, but what are you going to be interested in next? And sometimes you look at your algorithm. For some reason, I'm getting a lot of, a lot of videos of, of people taking care of alligators. I don't know why, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it, it engages you. Now, of course, you can always you can just swipe past them. It's the medium is really set up in a way that you go fast. You don't like what you're seeing. You go fast. You, you push for it. If you want to see more, you can go deeper and the algorithm learns what you like. And, but also as importantly, everybody can create TikToks. And it's much, and, and by the way, you don't know, the algorithm will end up serving it to a bunch of people. So we are becoming slaves to this algorithm and uh, television for many years now has focused on grabbing attention. You were president of MTV networks. So is that an important part of this convergence now between media and technology, this intersection between media technology and entertainment? Technology over time, if we go back to the beginning of the entertainment business, you can see that technology continued to create new opportunities, new exploitations for content, and new ways, most of all, um, for people to experience it. And so we went from broadcast television and then to cable television. Cable television gave us a, a, a wide assortment of programming, of, of, of linear channels to watch. And what's, what's happened in the last 15 years is that people are increasingly deciding what they want uh, to watch. So in the past, they were subject to a schedule. You know, you had a, a, a scheduler at each of these networks. Today, what's most important are the shows, the personalities, but also the, the viewer's ability to decide what they want or the platforms, the algorithms that say, here's what you should be watching. Here's what should be of interest to you. So stars that and shows that, that 
in, in, in the past existed on television. Now they're going to exist in different forms, chopped up. Um, you know, I mentioned news earlier. People are watching. They're watching the shows that they like, the, the, the personalities and shows that they like on television. But to a large extent, they're increasingly watching them on YouTube because I don't have to wait for the newscast. And so, um, so whatever network it might be, then I, I can watch it. Yes, whatever, whatever you're interested in, whether it's um, Hannity or, um, or like whoever, Anderson Cooper, you're going to be able not just to watch them on their channels, but also go into YouTube or on their own sites and pick out what you want to watch. It's a dramatic difference in terms of the amount of control that the viewer has. So then does the issue or the fundamental point become this using the algorithm to give the users the appearance of control and at the same time serving up those bits of information that the user, based on the data and the history that the algorithm determines, will that that the user will find engaging. And so there we come back to engagement and attention. Precisely. It's the recommendations are important. Algorithm sounds like a scary term, but it really comes down to recommendations. And and um, yes, you want to get yourself lost. Um, you can you can get lost in 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 YouTube for a long time. You can because it keeps keeps serving up. I mean, during during shelter in place, uh, my family and I did a lot of cooking, and um, and every time there was a cooking video, like. We learned how to make an omelet. There were three more that came up, showed you how to make an omelet in, in three different ways. So this is about, it's, it's no different than the advertising that's at the end of a program that says, watch the next one, or in the middle of a program that says, coming up on the next hour. This is, uh, it's another set of recommendations, and it makes it a very exciting experience for a lot of people. It completely makes it engaging. And as you say, one can get fully absorbed. Now, Michael, you used the term influencers earlier. One of the topics that your report touches on is this notion of super users. Can you explain super users and tell us why that's so important? We've observed over the last years when we've done our research, we've observed that there are a set of consumers and they're about 26% of all users who account for the great majority of usage in media, in across all forms, in e-commerce, in terms of subscriptions for wireless plans. And those users, we call them super users. And they're going to be increasingly important to anybody that's in these industries, but they're also going to be important more broadly because they account for like a disproportionate amount of the spend. I mean, they can they account for almost that 26% accounts for almost 70% of all spend on e-commerce. The it, it accounts for almost 80% of all spending on video games, or even more when you're looking at audio and podcasts. And so in the past, companies looked at, at the world and they said, we're going to do broad marketing, 
we, I mean, similar to it's, it's the transition from mass marketing today. We believe strongly that if you're, if you're operating an e-commerce site, if you're, um, if you're doing online grocery, whatever you might want to do, your critical, your critical task is identifying super users and super serving them. So to give you a sense, the, the, Average again. I showed you before the numbers around average thirteen hours a day of multitask media time and attention. If I break this apart for all other users versus super users, all other users. So the seventy three percent of all users they they on average are ten hours a day of engagement. Um, super users almost seventeen hours. I mean that's how you come up with this average and. Uh, um, it's extraordinary. And by the way, a lot of times they're the same people. The same people are spending or over-indexing on using audio or the same people who over-index on video. It, 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 has to do with, uh, it, it has to do with this interest and propensity to spend time, this interest and ability to spend money. And we are, we're at a point where practically every business, every business is saturated, has reached a large percentage of the population. And so now you got to go for the people who are the most valuable. Is there a relationship between the super users that you were describing and influencers, people who are nexus points that other folks listen to? Your super users end up being the amplifiers. In other words, if you're a super user, you're going to watch um, you're you're going to watch TikToks. You're going to watch um, you're going to watch YouTube. You're going to watch something else, and you're going to see those influencers, and you're going to point out who they who they are. You're gonna you're gonna amplify them to your friends, and that's the other thing we see, which is these are people who make a huge difference. They they tell their friends, they amplify, they 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 post themselves. And so it's hard to become an exciting and um, an overwhelming uh, influencer without super users serving as recommenders for you and amplifiers. I know that's a lot of big terms, but it really just comes down to going to create influencers. You got, they got to go for the people who are the most interested in watching the most. So we have another really interesting question from Twitter, and this is from... Arsalan Khan. And Arsalan says, we're moving towards these great experiences on the consumer side, but why is our business software still so horrible and boring? I think that some of this is enterprise software moves, tends to move a lot slower. There's uh, in, in, consumer, in, in, in consumer applications, the um, the operating philosophy is launch and learn, keep testing, go and update. Enterprise software, business software, you got to get it right. Somebody can't um, lose a text. But 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 already we're seeing experiences that um, that enterprise experiences that are getting consumerized. So Slack Slack has been fantastic in in terms of messaging in time in, in, inside of a lot of companies. Um, it replaces iMessage and WhatsApp and Signal and others that that weren't so great. It certainly replaces email for a bunch of people. And there's all the add-ins and the plugins that make these into into 
like great ways of getting to know your colleagues or doing your work or, or in your workflow. And then there are applications that, that are fun. I mean, there's an application called Donut that randomly selects somebody in your company that you don't know and the two of you should get together and have a coffee. Uh, and in these days, a virtual coffee or virtual Zoom coffee. The it, Facebook just launched their program, Horizons, which is uh, you put on an Oculus headset and you can meet with other people in a room with their avatars. It's definitely gamifying an experience. So I, I, I agree. I think that that enterprises will go a, a long way. That in both cases, in cases of consumer and enterprise, we're going to see them reversing polarity. So what I mean by that is Microsoft has its HoloLens, which is really an incredible uh, AR augmented reality headset. It's very expensive. It's over twenty five hundred dollars compared to an Oculus, which can be cheaper model, $300. And, um, and we know that's going to be consumerized. We know that device for it to, to um, it's, a, it's a superior device, but it's going to be at a cheaper price point so that not only can consumers use it, but it, it can be widespread usage within businesses. And actually, I've spoken with a number of enterprise software companies that are using virtual reality and augmented reality for things like repair, maintenance. So the repair person shows up at the location instead of having a thick set of manuals or even an iPad, the they can actually see the part and the part gets exploded and they see it in context with the instructions. I mean, that's a very practical use for it's a basic use, but a very practical use in the enterprise for this kind of converging technology. It gives you a sense what you're seeing today is only the beginning. So if I'm repairing an aircraft engine, I have my AR headset on, it's it's gonna be about the it's gonna be about the diagnosis, running those, um, all sorts of statistics on it, making sure that the parts are in good shape, going back. And being able to forget, it's not a standalone device. These are devices that are hooked into tremendous amount of processing power. And in fact, we believe from all of our research that augmented reality will be a much big, much broader set of applications because of enterprise. If I'm if I'm a doctor, I should be able to to use the processing power as well as the 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 visual power of the headset, so I can look at a patient and I can know what's going on on them, I can do much better um, instant diagnosis than I would have been able to do going to an, as you were saying, going back to an iPad or, or looking up symptoms in another way. I think the, the issue in the enterprise, as you said, in this case, is the size and the weight of the headsets. Right. It, it, it looks like a hard hat, hard hat with a visor. That's what it looks like. And, and a boom microphone. Now, Michael, you've brought up Facebook several times. And of course, Facebook just announced that they are now the meta company building the metaverse, and they will invest billions of dollars over the next decade. Tell us about the metaverse. What, what is the metaverse, first off? You would have thought that 2021 was the year that everybody discovered the metaverse. Give me a, a, a bear with me for a second because I'll tell you what it, I'll give you our definition. But you people have been talking about this for the longest time. 
and going back to to um, games or applications like Second Life and Sims, where um, you could go in and and spend a great deal of time in a virtual world, in, in, in some ways a a digital twin of the world that we're living in today. So we, but if you look at the kinds of things that our people are talking about today, the digital twin of the world, there's really only one set of examples about that, and that's video gaming. And because we look at at, at Fortnite and Minecraft and uh, Roblox and a whole set of other games, Decentraland and others, you you begin to see these are in fact these are experiences inside of games that that are not about gameplay. So in in NBA 2K uh, 2022, I can do a lot of stuff. I can have coffee with friends. I can shoot hoops. I can with friends. I can do all sorts of things social, but they don't have to do with playing the game. And so what this really comes down to is we have sixty percent, so roughly fifty-seven percent of the United States are gamers, and sixty percent of those gamers are doing other things inside of games. So they're in Animal Crossing. They're dating. In fact, they're, they're, last year we had weddings inside of Animal Crossing. Uh, we had earlier this year, Lil Nas X gave a concert, a concert inside of Roblox. Uh, and, so, um, and so we're going to continue to see these kinds of activities that happen inside of games. And Let's go. Now let's talk about what's the metaverse. Metaverse, lots of complicated things out there, definitions. It's really three things. It's non-gaming activities inside of games, or those are the metaverse platforms. Second of all, it's users. It's users being as creators, users being able to create their own games, their own applications, bringing in the things that they want to do. And then third of all, it's virtual reality as the way of experiencing those virtual worlds and augmented reality as the way of bridging from a digital world into a physical world. That's it. Those are things. Eventually, we'll get to this entire digital twin of, of the your universe where you'll do everything inside. So all digital activities, search, social, messaging, events, you should be able to do those in Let's call them games today, but metaverse platforms in the future. The, our point of view, when you look at Facebook renaming itself, Meta, Microsoft talking about an enterprise metaverse, this is each of these companies are talking about their own metaverse platforms. They're not, they're not necessarily interoperable. There's, and so there's not going to be one metaverse like, let's forget about that. It's not one metaverse. It's not like one internet. There's not going to be any one company that will own the metaverse. And those big technology companies, one way or the other, have to get into video games. And if you think about all of the elements of video games, whether it's a video game service or it's a headset or it's video game studios or um, cloud gaming, each of the major technology companies, they're playing in some of those areas, but they're not playing in all of them. The, the ones that are by the, way, the closest to playing all of them, surprise, the company that's supposed to be the enterprise company is Microsoft. 
And then you look at Sony and some others, but Facebook, there are a lot of white spaces. Facebook really doesn't have the kind of games yet that are these deep involved metaverse platforms. So I've given you a, 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 a long explanation, but the other part of this that is so fascinating is you're going to see activities, economies inside of these games. Economies, Roblox already has an economy. People can create your own games. You can charge for them. You can already participate in e-commerce. There are brands, everything from Coca-Cola to uh, Citibank that are already building branding inside these metaverse platforms. And, um, and so you've got an economy, you've got all sorts of activities. We're going to see more of this. It's not going to necessarily be one day we wake up and boom, there's the Facebook metaverse. This notion of there not being a single metaverse, when you say it, it seems like an obvious point. Of course, every major tech vendor is going to want to build their walled garden, just as we have the Google ecosystem, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, and so forth. What are the, what's the path to get there, what do you see happening realistically over the next several years, as opposed to you know looking ten years and tens of billions of dollars out? Just over the next few years, where is this going to be going, and what will be the impact on business leaders? We ask everybody in our company. We tell them you have to live in the future. We're looking at the near future, not necessarily the future that's too far off. So, so that's that's why it really makes sense to talk about it this way. We're going to see a number of things that are going to happen in the next year. Every one of the major technology platforms is going to try to find a way in which it can create their own immersive environments. And as I said earlier, it's most likely going to start with games and then branch out from there. We are going to see a massive amount of investment, investment in in everything from interactivity to digital property to augmented reality, uh, virtual reality. And it's not just going to be from technology companies. It's going to be from brands that want to have a role in this. It's going to be from companies that want to sell digital merchandise and be online. So I, I, I think we're about to see a massive wave of investment from a large number of companies all trying to stake out their position. And part of the reason why there's not going to be one, no one company is going to own it all because everybody learned the lesson of the internet created monopolies. I mean, we have, we, right now we have Google, Amazon, and Facebook, which control most of the advertising around the world. And you end up with, um, it's very hard for smaller publishers and smaller companies to succeed in this, uh, no one's going to make that mistake again. We're just not, nobody's going to let that happen. The people that, that, in the same way that the people that dominated media didn't end up dominating the internet. Um, the, there, there's no media brand that really made that transition or that turn um, in, in the way that it ended up, uh, that, that the, the, the biggest media companies did not end up being the biggest, uh, the biggest internet companies. So we should see a lot of investment here. And, um, and it's going to be exciting for users because there's going to be so much more that you can do. But you're going to have to get comfortable with this kind of level of, 
immersion into digital environments, it's um, you can go in and go out, but it is very analogous to games. Michael, many of the people who watch CXO Talk are business leaders in enterprise, various types of enterprise businesses. What does all of this mean for business leaders? You know, when we talk about the attention economy or the experience economy, and I think about personalization, there's so much emphasis right now on personalizing marketing, for example. So what does all of this mean for business leaders who are listening to this and saying, okay, great, there's all this stuff swirling around. What do I do? If, if you're not thinking about how do you create a better and extensive experience for your consumers, you're going to miss out on, on, on a huge wave of opportunities. And it's looking at this, and we look at this all the time for our clients, our enterprise clients, big business. We're always looking at what can you do that can add a level of interactivity, a level of entertainment, a level of deeper involvement and engagement. And I mean, some examples are from e-commerce. It's um, Porsche now has an app where literally you can, your, your driveway becomes a showroom. You can take your phone, you can look at your driveway, you can see what, or anywhere else you can, you can pick out the color of your Porsche, you can pick out the, the wheels, you can turn the device and see how that would look around. Um, Another example of that is IKEA. IKEA is has apps that that allow you to you can go in a room, you can look in in your living room and see how would that sofa fit there. I mean, it's way before a moving van shows up, and we're going to see that kind of interactivity that is that that users and are 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 really comfortable with in consumer applications and moving. Uh, into the enterprise. And I mentioned Slack earlier, but it, it's, it's not just going to stop there. Um, Zoom, an application that if, if we look at it at the beginning of last year, people, video, video conferencing wasn't something that was as widespread. Today, it's as easy as Google, Google Hangouts or, or, uh, or Teams or, or, or Zoom. So I expect that Every company that we work with is looking at the experience economy. They're creating two-sided marketplaces. They're bringing buyers together in a way that is modern, in a way that provides an experience. You can't, if, if, if the experience isn't as good as what you can do as a consumer, you're going to lose because you've already, the bar has already been set for what people, what, what people view as quality and um, and engaging and worth their time. Every technology executive that I speak with, and you speak to a lot, Michael. <laughs> I I definitely speak with a lot from all from very large technology companies to startups, and universally, people talk about replicating that consumer experience in enterprise software. It sounds like what you're saying is this, that companies, that technology companies will be forced to put rocket fuel on this trend of making their products more consumer friendly. Absolutely. The rocket fuel 
I love the analogy, Michael, because it's it's really about about accelerating the these applications. And so being able to to know if you're in a company and you're doing you're ordering parts or you're providing services or you're selling trucks or or cars. We 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 for example, we view cars have been one of the categories that have been the slowest to move online. So roughly 2% of all vehicles in the United States, and there's about 58 million vehicles that are sold each year, roughly 2% of them are sold through e-commerce, totally touchless. Somebody, you go online, you buy it, somebody drops it off. Um, Sites like Carvana and Room, they've now changed that. You're comfortable selling your car online, you're comfortable buying a car online. So we we see the 2% going as high as 15% within the next three years. That, that, that experience wouldn't be, you, you can't deliver an experience that's any worse than what you can do on Amazon. I mean, you want a buy it now button. You want to be able to select what you want. You want to be able to select a set of colors or a set of features. But then from that point on, it's got to be a great consumer experience. If this happens, and we, we strongly believe our forecast is correct, then 15% of the 60 million cars that are likely to be sold in three years are going to be sold, touchless through e-commerce. That, that's, that's over $150 billion in e-commerce revenue that, that wasn't there before. A category, you can spend an enormous amount of money on, on, on a car and it's a category that you would have thought a couple of years ago wasn't going to go online so quickly. We have a few more questions from Twitter. So what will the metaverse economy look like? Any thoughts on that? It's going to be a lot of the transactions that you can do today in the real world, owning property, um, advertising, um, banking, uh, selling buying, uh, it's a lot of what anything you can do in the real world or in the virtual world, you'll be able to do in Metaverse. We have a question, another question from Arsalan Khan. Thanks, Arsalan. And he says, are there opportunities for cross-industry experiences that connect different organizations together and provide seamless experience across different companies? I'm thinking, for example, supply chain, business partners, things like that? Think about it quite quite simply. You're going to have a number of different metaverse platforms from each of the major um, technology companies and media companies. So what bridges it? They're not interoperable so easily. So what bridges it? It's, it's applications, it's payments, it's, um, it's Spotify, it's e-commerce. It can be business e-commerce, it can be consumer e-commerce. So the connections are going to happen through third-party applications. And the third-party applications may be ones you own. If you're, if you're selling cars, you're going to sell them in every metaverse platform, not just one. And another question. I love, the, I love taking the questions from Twitter and LinkedIn. It's great. So uh, you gave examples of, from CPG, Consumer Packaged Goods Companies, how will the experience economy be meaningful to industrial companies? It's some of this comes down to the interface. Some of it comes down to the information that you can get. So great example of this is it's less industrial, but let me, let me start with industrial. It's industrial. It's 
using applications like augmented reality to bridge that gap between what you're doing on your computer or on, or on your phone into the real world. We talked about those kind of applications um, in terms of repairing an aircraft, but there's going to be a great deal more. And, um, and it's going to be about creating marketplaces. We're going to see marketplaces for everything from parts to automobiles to, um, to materials and it, it, the marketplaces are much more efficient, and those have to be presented in a way that is an experience that is as good or better than what a consumer can do in a lot of other places. So again, placing the user in the center and making sure, as you said, those experiences are as good or better than what the consumer can receive elsewhere. As an enterprise, as a company, you can, you can think about the functionality, you can think about all the features, but at the end of the day, it's got to come down to either the user or the customer. Great example of this is what's happening with legal information. There's, you are able to so much better than it was before. It applies a number of the mechanics that augmented reality, artificial intelligence to something a number of years ago that somebody had to sit there in a book and go through and find. Michael Wolf, any final thoughts about the application of this or about this convergence and how it relates to business people? Any final thoughts at all? First of all, the user will, re re will really remain supreme. Expect that interactivity for business applications and consumer applications, look to things like video games and think about how they can, they, they can be emulated in, in what you're doing. The, um, and then finally, expect that a lot of this is going to be enabled by technologies that we haven't talked about today. 5G, 6G, uh, much more processing power that are going to put more control into the hands of users and it are going to make it so much easier to access everything. Okay. A very quick 45 minutes. It's gone by really fast. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Michael Wolf. He is the CEO of Activate Consulting. Michael, thank you again for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who sent in questions via Twitter. This is really exciting to, to do this. And thank you so much, Michael. Um, I've had a great time. And as Michael said, a huge thank you to everybody who watched and especially to those folks who contributed questions. Now, before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website and tell your friends so we can send you our newsletter. It's a good newsletter. We won't spam you. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Check out CXOTalk.com and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.